Sean Daoud, who is Vice President and Shareholder at PNW Metal Recycling in Clackamas, Oregon. Sean's been with PNW since 2008, which is formerly known as Rivergate Scrap Metals. PNW has several locations across Oregon, as well as one location in Longview, Washington. The current company was formed in 2017 through a merger of Rivergate Scrap Metals and R.S. Davis Recycling, Inc. Thanks for coming on the show today, Sean. Thanks for having me, Megan. So to start things off, how did you get started in the scrap industry? Did you ever consider working outside of the industry? So I got started in the scrap industry because of my family. Uh, P&W Metal is a family business. There's three families that own it, obviously uh, mine being one of them. And I started working at our scrapyard in 2008, about two days after uh, my 18th birthday and two weeks after graduating from high school. Um, so that's where I got my start. But prior to uh, going the scrap business, I thought about being a pilot maybe, but spending so much time with my dad when he worked at another firm prior to uh, our current company. I spent so much time in the business, fell in love with it. It was, you know, and grew up in it, and it was just kind of in my blood and almost inevitable that I would end up being in it. Got it. And so what are some roles that you've held since joining the family business back in 2008? Oh, uh, you name them, right? Uh, the, the thought process in, in all of our families that own the business is you start at the bottom and you work your way up. So my first duty is, is uh, uh, when I started at the yard in, in 08 was to pick up a pile of dog poop in the driveway of the uh, yard. So, you know, you name it, uh, tra- traffic you know, chaser, grading loads, scale buyer, picker on the shredder, material handler operator, shredder operator, mechanic, Still to this day, you know, physically working the yard, running shears and uh, forklifts, front-end motors, uh, be able to drive a truck. So, you know, pretty much every role you can think of, scrap buying, now, you know, being as a, as a vice president and, you know, part owner of our business, you know, dealing with banks and obviously volunteering for ISRI and dealing with our legislators at the state and national level. So every end of the spectrum. So it's, uh, it's our belief, one of our core beliefs, that if you're going to be here, upper-level executive that you know the uh, business from the ground up. Got it. So what are you more focused on right now, and what's kind of your role in the business today? My focus now is mainly on our finance, finance accounting and uh, kind of public relations, more or less, uh, because of my involvement with ISRI. I still have my hand in, in a little things in terms of scrap buying and operations. I oversee one of our key locations um, that we just opened with uh, new sorting technology, it's kind of, you know, multiple hats in the day. I mean, we, uh, as a you know, family business, we're, you know, we're owner-operators, so uh, we wear multiple hats each day. So I guess my focus really is quite a bit, but mainly our finance accounting and uh, one of our main locations that is a key revenue driver for our business. Got it. And you mentioned that you basically joined the business while you were working through college. So what was that kind of like during those years? Well, my, my experience working through uh, college was good. Uh, obviously, working full time through uh, multiple degrees uh, was uh, could be uh, a little challenging, but I had some flexibility uh, of having options to work day and night to learn the different roles in the business. Uh, but doing that, it obviously taught me some key skills to have of time management, work ethic. You know, anyone who's in an executive or upper management role are going to need. So it was a overall good experience. I, I, I wouldn't change it for anything if I had to do it again. Got it. And over the years, what are some lessons that you learned working in the scrap recycling industry that have stuck with you? 
never be uh, ashamed to say you don't know. Uh, I, it, it comes up more often than not that I learn something new every single day. And it's easier just to say, let me find out, than to give a roundabout answer and have to backtrack. Obviously, I think many of us make that mistake early on in our careers, and I definitely did. And um, now, more often than not, I don't. Luckily, just from that lesson, you know, a few of those lessons I've learned. So I, I think it's to be mindful that it's okay not to know. Just because you've been in the business for so many years and you may not recall a certain product you're trying to buy or you may not have knowledge of a specific circumstance that you're, you know, within the law of your state um, or regulatory body, it's okay to say, let me get back to you. Um, or that you're not the resident expert. You don't have to be the smart, smartest person in the room. So I think that's the biggest lesson that I've learned is you're going to learn something new every day and it's okay to say, I don't know, let me find out and get back to you. That's definitely a good lesson to learn. Do you have any specific examples of how you had to learn that on the job and how you've grown from that? Yeah, I've, I've said this example a couple times in the last few months on some other podcasts, but uh, I had a, a buying opportunity come up early on in my career and uh, got photos of this material and showed them to my dad. And I, and I told him, no, this is aluminum. And he said, no, that's steel. And it, from the pictures, you, you know, it was really hard to tell, but he had this gut, he knew, I mean, just from his experience. And so I drove all the way out to this location, which was hours away from our yard, thinking there was, you know, 35,000 pounds of aluminum out there. I wanted to grade it, get it bought for the yard. And lo and behold, I get out there and it's steel. And I had to record the gentleman a price for the aluminum. And luckily it was, a, you know, a product that we had some margin on uh, if it was aluminum, but we ended up losing our butts on it in a sense, if you just look at that specific instance and, you know, I learned the hard lesson. We paid the gentleman that price, told him that I was wrong, but because I quoted him something, and I learned the hard way. So instead of saying, let me come out and see it, I, you know, my, we honored what we had told him, and I learned the hard way of overpaying, overpaying for steel when I thought it was aluminum. So what hard lesson learned, but it was a good one. Got it. Now, PNW Metal Recycling, it's a slightly newer name in the industry, mostly because it formed out of a merger of Rivergate Scrap Metals and R.S. Davis Recycling a few years ago. So let's talk a little bit more about that. What was your role in the merger process and what was it like experiencing that? I played a, a pretty key role from the Rivergate and obviously in, in analyzing, you know, our current financial state, our value of the business, coordinating uh, the legal team and our financial team, accounting team to prepare for the merger, you know, worked with you know, Hank and Jamie and Mick uh, and, and Bev, you know, the owners that, of our estates at the time and obviously our other owners at Rivergate at the time, George, Bert, my dad, Fuad, and, and Justin, you know, coordinated conversations. So I played a pretty, you know, critical role in it. And well, I mean, as we all did, being, you know, the owners of the business, uh, but figuring out how we're going to split up, you know, certain assets that we didn't want to go on the merger, how are we going to, you know, put together compensation for all of our key management employees, what of our, you know, what what are going to be our, our benefits plan, our goals going forward, um, and just kind of organizing all that with, with the you know ownership team at that time. So I mean there's a lot that goes into it. It was it was a good experience. It definitely helped me learn what it's going to take for other uh, mergers and acquisitions that we are going to make down the road. And obviously it's an our with our and, and our goals, we do need to acquire and possibly merge with other companies. You never want to close the door on any opportunity. And what we had put together 
in 2017 was very tricky because of our joint venture operation and other experiences that we had had with joint ventures prior, but we had a good JV in Longview. That's what kind of allowed us to date and know what our operations were like, gave us time to lay the groundwork for the merger, and then we executed in April of 17. So having all of that experience, having knowing how to dissolve a JV from a few years, you know, for about, from about 10 years ago, as Davis's team having done the same thing when they had a joint venture and then us formulating one to kind of date for three years, four years, and then we were able to merge. Uh, you know, we've had a good experience through that. We learned a lot through that. And now as we go forward, it was, it was definitely something that not a lot of people get to experience. And so hopefully having that early on in my career, it's going to you know, lend a lot of tools and I guess best practices going forward when we need to grow this business more than what it's at now. Now with the merger, how did the business go about deciding, dividing up responsibilities or picking a company name? And then what were some of the other things that the companies worked through in that first year of the merger? Well, the company name is pretty easy in terms of having the joint ventures, P&W Metal Recycling. It just, it was a holistic name. We all liked it. We all bought into it. And it just made sense as the overall parent company name. We still have the trade names of Rivergate and R.S. Davis just to, to help, I guess, with, uh, well, originally was to help kind of differentiate P&W and Longview was the export facility where we want prepared materials to go. Rivergate's the shredder where we want the tin and car bodies to go. And then R.S. Davis locations kind of uh, had their own identification in those different counties they're in. Um, and local communities to where, you know, smaller companies, smaller peddlers come in to drop off scrap at a feeder location. So we've kept those names, uh, but having P&W as the parent company name, the main entity. And, you know, in terms of roles and responsibilities, I think the nice part of the merger was every one of us has a different uh, strength in terms of running the business and how we look at things. And we're still kind of Still, you know, of, of dividing up roles as the founding shareholders transition out. We just recently had a retirement and, you know, trying to divvy up that person's roles is still kind of going on because um, it's just recently fresh. And as all of us, you know, kind of, uh, I guess, go a little bit further on as the merger and the company changes, right, there's other things that come up that we have to take on. And, you know, we have to also train and develop the next leaders in our business to help shift the next generation on. And so we're shifting roles. And so as the founding shareholders move out, the younger owners, right, the, the children take on more and do more, and then we have to obviously delegate. And so we're still kind of handling all that. But originally through the merger, like I said, we all had our own different strengths, and we took that on. And obviously mine being more on the accounting realm, that was something I had, I would, I took on more of. And uh, Jamie was, was a great controller. She knows how to analyze bills and ask questions. Hank being good on the on the business development and taking that on. My father being good on the sales and annoying and different things. Justin, great at non-ferris, taking over the non-ferris sales. Mick knowing yard operations. George knowing general operations. And Bert knowing buying scrap very well. So we all kind of took on just the general key departments that we would need and leading those. And we saw the, you know, the efficiencies and the strengths of all of us take, you know, form at the end of 17 is after we got a few months in. And so it was a relatively easy process. We all pretty much knew what we wanted to do, what we were good at. And so we obviously went that route. So it was a pretty smooth process, luckily. Got it. Um, and 
you know, regarding mergers and acquisitions, is the company looking to do more of that in the future? I don't know what all you can share about at this point in time, but whatever you can openly say, is that something the company's looking to do? No, of course we're looking for M&A. I think as a, as a business that wants to develop and and grow, you have to be open to merging or acquiring another entity. You know, obviously I can't talk about if we have anything going on, but if the opportunity comes, yes, of course we're going to look at it. And Or if it's just starting fresh from a new yard at a, at a, in a good area that makes sense and a good fit for us. You know, you look at how other companies – other Israel members, right, or other companies in our business have grown and developed, M&A is a part of it. Regardless if it's starting a, a, a brownfield yard or greenfield yard, excuse me, or, you know, buying a company that's already operating or merging with a company that's already operating. And, of course, we're always open to it. And I think as a, as a larger entity, you have to, you have to keep your, your door open for any opportunity. So kind of tied to more opportunities, what are some investments or things that P&W has been focused on in the last couple of years and more specifically this year? We're predominantly an export sales business. Being on the West Coast, most most recyclers on the West Coast are export-based for sales. Uh, it's very hard to sell domestically because of the lack of steel mills on the West Coast, the uh, extremely high freight cost to get to the Midwest where a lot of the steel mills are, aluminum smelters are. So what we focused on is trying to keep up with the changing regulations in Asia, in the Middle East, in Europe, of quality expectations, of you know, commodity definitions. And we've invested in a wire chopper that's operating at one of our locations, and we've invested in a new downstream for metal sortation out of the the shredding uh, material. So for us, we're looking at technology. We're looking at how we can make sure we send the least amount of metal to the landfill, right, but also being able to accept as many commodities as we possibly can from having you know, better sortation technologies and better sortation and processing equipment. So we're definitely looking at gaining efficiencies through lower cost of operating, but also increasing revenue through better recoveries and also including, you know, the development and, you know, basically strategic development of certain sizing, certain commodity mixtures, you know, being able to market to the countries that are changing the regulatory environment. And it changes every day. China's the biggest example. So we want to keep up with those regs because they are one of the largest scrap buyers in the entire world. So how do we make sure we can keep up and sell to that market, which is one of the biggest markets for the West Coast? Same goes as India as they develop their regulatory market. And then so on and so forth, Vietnam, South Korea, Japan, Indonesia. You know, I can name a lot of different countries, and you know, they're all changing how they want scrap to be brought into them. So how do we keep up with that? That's what our, our main focus has been, is to improve our operations and you know, increase our uh, technology, better our technology as well, to keep up with the sales trends so we are a relevant business and a going concern for as long as, as far as that we can see. Got it. Now, you're also involved with ISRI as president of the Pacific Northwest chapter and pretty involved in the association's national chapter as well. What are some goals that you have with that position and your involvement in the association and also what are some things going on within your chapter? In regards to the chapter, my goal is just to improve the view of our industry locally. Um, how can we you know, help legislators, how can we help our communities understand that we are, you know, we're in the recycling realm. We have the best impact to our communities through the, the processes and method, methods that we have for recycling. So what can, 
can we do to lay that groundwork to maybe change the definition of recycling in certain states that in our region that, and that's a big goal. Uh, obviously, I just, you know, lay the groundwork for it because I know it's probably not going to happen in my presidency, but maybe it happens in the next or the one after. But how can we, you know, make sure that our, our industry companies, our member companies in the chapter have the proper support from the regulatory bodies and state agencies to operate efficiently and effectively to support their communities? You know, from the national end, kind of the, it, it, we know that's coming up. I think that would be a, a fun thing to be a part of. Um, and I know fun's a, a weird word to use for it, but it's a good experience to be able to go through the processes of helping shape regulation and law for your business. It was able, I was a part of that in Washington a few years back, a part of it in Oregon. So, the, you know, seeing that process and how it evolves and the conversations you have to have are very interesting and good experience, especially for, you know, being young in a career. Uh, and then, you know, past, out, you know, the outside perspective of what, you know, Israel does internally, you know, we chair the finance committee at this point and chair or co, you know, co-chair for young executive council and, you know, on a few other committees. I really enjoy my time at national, the networking aspect of it's great, but being involved in those different committees, helping, making sure that this association is supporting our member companies in any way that they need and giving them the value that they, you know, they pay for their membership is near and dear to me because, you know, giving back to our business or to our industry itself is is something that I think we should all do at some point in our careers. You know, we've helped grow our businesses in a sense or, you know, strengthen our business or, you know, maintain the business, whatever it might be your goals at the time. But how can you then help, you know, sh- you know, share your knowledge? And I'm not necessarily sharing my knowledge now. I'm kind of taking knowledge in a sense that that's helping me, you know, help, you know, my business. So then down the road, how can I do that with others and you know, mentor and grow the next generation. You know, I'm years away from that. Obviously, I'm the one being mentored and grown at this point. I'm taking advantage as much as I can. But, you know, how can I get, you know, further involved past, you know, chapter president, past finance chair? You know, what other opportunities are there going to be at national? That's kind of, you know, per, a, a, a selfish goal, I guess, there. So, but I'm sure most young executives in my position would have that and others, you know. So, kind of a roundabout answer, but hope that helps. No, that made a lot of sense. And so it sounds like you're pretty involved in both your business as well as in industry associations. So, you know, when you're not tied up in that, uh, what do you do for fun when you're not working in recycling? Sorry, can you tell me what the word fun means? No, I'm just joking. <laughs> uh, I, you know, luckily with, you know, with the business, I, I get to travel a little bit and, um, you know, I can take my wife with me now. We'll be able to take her daughter. She's only a few weeks old, but once this pandemic's hopefully through here, um, we'll be able to travel more. But that's what we like to do. We like to travel, short weekend trips, you know, a couple annual trips for further, you know, further locations. Having a uh, father that's an immigrant, we, we have family in France and family back in Lebanon. And so, you know, we like to go visit them. And having a business that's international, I can go to Asian countries where we do a lot of business, the Middle East, you know, Europe. So, opportunity through work, opportunity through family to travel internationally. I love to golf. But, you know, now it's, it's shifting, I guess, is how much time can I spend at home with my wife and daughter? So it's it's funny. As life goes on, you, your priorities seem to shift. And even though I've only had her for a short few weeks, it's, it's the perspective on, you know, what I want to do and how I want to do things definitely now is going to involve our daughter Blakely and how, uh, how I can help her, you know, have the childhood that I luckily was able to have. So now that's, you know, that's how I'm going to spend my time, making sure she gets to experience the fun that I got to experience. Now, 
talking a little more broadly, what are some challenges overall that you faced in your career, and how have you overcome those? It's a tr- that's a tricky question because it's sometimes you you, you know they, people define them as challenges. I see them as opportunities, right? To take to take a chance to change someone's opinion, to take a chance to you know sh- reshape the narrative or whatever might happen. You know, so, and some of that might be just being younger in my career and having a, a higher level position at my company. Sometimes individuals may look at, and this is the same for a lot of people um, that are in my shoes. You know, individual looking at it is, is this maybe you don't have the right answer, even though it might be the right answer, just because you're younger, it may not be the best one. And even so, that's something that I, that I definitely struggle with. And and uh, but I've seen that as an opportunity because how can I prove myself? How can I prove that other young executives, in a sense, right, have just because you're young in your career, that doesn't mean you're not capable. And so I've seen that as, as an opportunity to take on to prove to them, you know, I've listened, I've learned in, you know, six months or six years, depending on the conversation you're having, can mean a whole lot. And if you act like a sponge, I guess, in a sense, soak up everything you can and know how to present to your audience, know how to research for your audience, know how to formulate, you know, the communication you're going to provide. You know, there's a lot of things you'll learn over time and develop, and that's what I've seen as as the opportunity for for myself is to show that just because I'm 30 years old, I still have the capability of someone that is a little older than me. So I'm sure many individuals that are are in my shoes have, have probably dealt with that as well. Got it. And kind of a big question here, but what would you say are some of the largest issues that are impacting the recycling industry today and why, and how is that impacting PNW? The, uh, probably the definition of recycling itself. Every state has a different definition. Um, every regulator you talk to has a different perspective of how recycling is viewed. Um, is it from the, you know, W word stream that we don't like to talk about in a sense for, for our commodities, but we do handle commodities. And I think that is one of the biggest hurdles that we're going to have to overcome soon. I mean, that it's coming. It, we've dealt with it, you know, decades before it's coming up again in Oregon. We're dealing with it right now with an ongoing suit with a couple of our Israel members, uh, Washington. We dealt with that a few years back when, uh, the uh, department of ecology wanted to, redefine how recyclers were, were uh, managed from the regulatory side. So it's that's definitely one of the biggest hurdles we'll deal with locally, but also nationally. And that leads into a whole other uh, list of items of, you know, how are companies managed in terms of their air quality? How are they managed in terms of their stormwater? And those are good conversations to have because if we don't have them, if we don't, if we aren't a part of the conversation ahead of time, if we can't help shape the rules, because they're inevitable, right? Things are going to be coming down the pipeline. How can we be a part of those conversations? We're going to be dealing with things that we had nothing to say with. So, how you know how how can we be part of those conversations? And those are that's probably the biggest hurdle. And there's a whole heap of things that'll come with that. But we're going to deal with them very soon. I know as your nationals gearing up to deal with it, a lot of chapters are dealing with that right now. Pacific Northwest, you know, West Coast, New Jersey chapter, Chicago. Or, you know, a lot of you know, uh, Gulf Coast and Houston, they've been doing for a lot of years. So it's, it's, you're going to start to see something come down the pipeline. We just talked about it this morning in the uh, community relations subcommittee. So it was uh, near, near, uh, fresh in my mind. So that's probably the, the biggest one that we'll have to deal with. 
Got it. Yeah, it's definitely interesting to see some of that play out in the last you know year or so here. Now, you mentioned earlier that PNW is investing in some new technologies, and this doesn't necessarily have to be what PNW is adding to its facility, but are there any new technologies you see in the industry that are really exciting or that you hope the industry would embrace more? You know, being really focused kind of on the, on the shredded metals and, in a sense, you know, some of the technologies of, of sorting out specific alloys. You know, there's a LIBS machine, I believe is what they call it, of how you can get down to specific um, alloys of different grades of, you know, stainless or aluminum or, or uh, getting down to that just generally. You know that you have a 304 stainless. You know that you have a, a 5052 aluminum. And I think that's going to be interesting to see. Right now, those type of machines are very low throughput, so they're not as efficient. But it, it sounds like companies, you know, that have those machines are developing them to be more high capacity to where instead of having a Zorba or instead of having a Twitch package, you know, or just a shredded sheet aluminum package, you can now get just a shredded um, aluminum package, you know, whether it's cast or sheet or the different, you know, extrusions, you can now get to a point to where you're going to have a shredded 6063 package that's coming from a commingled pile that was fed into the shredder. You're going to get to a point where you're going to have uh, 304 specifically or 316L. It'll be, I think that's, necessary technology, not only for value generation for the business that has it, but also to know the spec for the mill so they know that what they're getting. And you're basically putting the work back into the scrap recycler's hands of or processor hands of making sure they provide a good, clean product for, for, uh, for the melting process or the remaking process. And that's we see that going on in Europe quite a bit. And there's a lot of technologies now in plastics that can get down to color sorting. Same thing in, in uh, other other industries, right? So we're we're a glass, excuse me, was, was the word I was thinking about. And uh, so from that perspective, that's, you know, that's that's an interesting technology that I think would be well used and well favored going down the road for the future. Got it. And kind of tied to looking to the future, where do you see the recycling industry heading in the next three to five years? And then also, you know, what are kind of your company's goals for the next few years? Every person you ask is going to have a different answer. I, I personally, I think that the recycling industry is going to grow and develop. It's going to get more, you know, support from local communities. It's going to get more support from local governments. It's as active as ISRI has been and other, you know, recycling associations. Um, I think that's a positive thing that we're headed towards. Um, we're definitely going to see a shift in product quality specifications, you know, we're already seeing it, but it's going to happen even more. And, you know, companies that are, are on top of that are going to, you know, succeed. And hopefully our company is in terms of on the, on the metals perspective, you know, we want to get to that point. And we're looking at other ways that we can pull the other recyclables out of the different streams that we have. How can we get the plastics, um, value for the plastics that's in our streams? How can we get values for the textiles and the rubber and so and the glass and so on and so forth? You know, we're looking at different ways that we can, take our metal stream but it's going to have non-metal items and drive value drive support for other industries that we're not necessarily involved in um, like plastic recycling or, or glass recycling so I think you're going to see a shift of companies broaden how, what they look at and how they handle things down the road as well so it's it's uh, it's it's going to be a fun three to five years and the next 10 is going to be even more interesting to see so I'm, I'm happy to be along for the ride on that one Got it. And a final question here. So 
you do some of the HR work at PNW. So with that background, what tips would you offer to companies on recruiting good people to their team that you've learned in the last few years? Well, luckily, we have an HR manager now, and, and she's, uh, she's great at the, at the recruiting tool and, and attracting people. Um, but just from my experiences uh, and you know, helping with that department a little bit, I think it's just being up, up front in terms of what your expectations are. Right. Don't waste anybody's time and be thankful for, for applicants. Always respond. I think that was the one key thing that I learned in college um, from a, from a, a previous HR director from a large organization locally here. She was teaching for a few years um, uh, when I joined her class uh, early on in, in my uh, first undergrad and was, you know, through the whole process, be upfront, be clear and be thankful. Someone applied to your company. That means they thought that, the, you know, your company had what they were looking for. And, and they felt that as if they would be a good fit for you. And even if they didn't get the job, send them, you know, regardless if it's a handwritten note, an email, or a phone call, thank them for, for recognizing your business. Um, that goes a long way because you want to have individuals have a positive experience through because maybe they apply another time for another position or that position open up, up, opens up again. Excuse me. And you don't want to tarnish that, that, uh, that image that you might have had at the time. So you want to keep a positive trend the entire experience of recruiting and developing your workforce. But I think also at the same time, in our industry specifically, we can't be afraid of bringing in new blood. Just because this person may not have any experience buying scrap as an example or sorting or processing, but they have general manufacturing experience or general sales experience or um, general you know, you know, physical labor experience, we, you can train them. You can grow and develop them. And that's an extremely expensive part of the business um, of developing and growing in, uh, individuals within your company, but by investing in them and showing you want them to grow and showing them that you are giving them support to do something new, you know, loyalty can also be added. And we have a relatively low turnover ratio at our business because we don't want to have high, you know, high turnover. We want to have high retention. And a lot of our, our uh, individuals in our company have been with us for, for years, um, decades, and you know, it's inevitable some spots in, in any business are going to have high, high turnover. It's just what it is. But if you can try to focus on having a higher retention rate in key spots or even just generally, I mean, that should be our goal. By being open-minded, by being willing to invest and grow and help your employees better themselves professionally and personally, you know, those I, I know it's a lot of tips there, but I think that's where we've seen a lot of success and where we've seen people – want to join our, our business and where we've seen people want to stay with our business as well. Awesome. Well, thanks for those tips there. And thanks for coming on the show today, Sean. Thanks, Megan. I really enjoyed it.